This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. Let me invite you to take a seat. As Stephen mentioned, if it's your first time here, thank you so much for joining us. I do want you to know that I am not Pastor Byron. I am Pastor Barry, one of the pastors on staff. And I didn't get my start in ministry. Um, Early in my career, I was actually in the business world. I was in corporate banking. And so my job basically consisted of doing a deep dive on all the public companies in Florida. Our, Our bank or our group covered that region. And so I had to do this analysis of their financial statements, their industry to determine, hey, can our bank lend you millions of dollars and you be able to pay it back? And I really enjoyed Enjoyed that job, but it started this passion kind of. I'm, I'm very intrigued by the stories of companies, their successes, their failures. And one thing that I'm super intrigued by are these companies that maybe started 50 or 100 years ago and they made it through the digital revolution because our world changed quite a bit in the 1990s, the 2000s with the um, onset of the internet and just the digital age. So One of these companies that I was like just super baffled by that if you look at it on paper, there's no way they should have survived, started in 1910. And there was this teenager who had some artistic ability and so he kind of created these postcards and he started selling them and it was pretty successful. His brother joined the business a few years later. They bought an office, they had space for their inventory. And then about a year later, it all burned down. They lost everything but that did not stop them. They decided to start again, and they realized there was kind of this transition with what was happening in personal communication. People wanted more privacy, especially if you're mailing a postcard, postman can read it, whoever was working at the post office, they can read it. So they knew people wanted privacy. So what they did is they decided to develop these high quality greeting cards, and then they they would make or create a specific size envelope for that card to fit in. They started with Christmas and Valentine's, and Hallmark Cards was born. So Hallmark started in 1910. We get all the way to the 1990s, early 2000s, and they see the world is changing. They see people now have personal computers. They've got printers in their house. People are starting to use email. They can send stuff electronically, and they begin to wonder, like, is this going to be a viable business moving forward? Are people still going to buy greeting cards? So at that point, they made a very strategic decision. They had, over the last few years, invested a little bit of their company into making some family-friendly movies. And they would put those on other channels. But then, in 2000, they decided to invest millions of dollars behind one film, and Hallmark showed their very first Christmas movie, November of 2001. And now we have one, one fan of the Hallmark Christmas movies. So fast forward to today, um, it is estimated that Hallmark this year is going to release 30 new Christmas films. And, and since, since 2001, they have created or produced over 300 Christmas movies. Hallmark now has their own channel. They've got their own streaming service. It is estimated in 2022 that they will bring in over half a billion dollars in ad revenue just from their Christmas movies. Not bad for a greeting card company. But they saw what was happening, they made some changes. Now what baffles me is how in the world they have made $500 million 
making movies with the exact same plot. Like, I cannot wrap my mind around, right? Like, every single movie, you, you've, got, you, you've got Mrs. Hallmark, right? She's kind of this likable, like, down-to-earth girl. Um, and she, she lives in the city. She usually has a pretty good job. And she's usually dating a city slicker, like someone who's a hedge fund manager or a CEO of something. And, and you can tell, like, the relationship is just a little bit off. Like, that's not the right person for her. And, and then Christmas rolls around, and she always goes back home. And home is always in the country somewhere in a small town, right? Yep. And then, then she meets Mr. Hallmark. And Mr. Hallmark has got the unbuttoned flannel, sleeves rolled up, t-shirt underneath, the worn out jeans, the hiking boots, just enough five o'clock shadow to say I'm a rebel, but not in a bad way. And so Mrs. Hallmark meets Mr. Hallmark. They develop this relationship. And then right before they're going to fall in love, she's got to go back to the city. But, but do not worry, do not worry, because there's the inevitable act of God, right? Like the snowstorm comes, the flight gets canceled, the family emergency happens, and she's got to stay for just a few more days just in time for them to fall in love and for them to kiss right before the closing credits. Now, I, like, I don't know about you, but seriously, 300 movies with that plot, and obviously they're doing pretty well. And listen, Guys, don't think it's just ladies. Like, the, the ratings don't lie. Like, there are obviously men watching these movies, too. Like, they are doing really well. But I started to think, what, what is it about the Hallmark movies that keeps us coming back? Why do they make 30 movies a year with the same plot and people continue to watch? It's, it's that feeling you get when you watch those movies, right? It's the feeling associated with romantic love, and that's what Hallmark has figured out. They know that as a culture, as a society, we have tied love to a feeling. And I would argue it's not just romantic love, right? It's even love for your friends. Like the reason you love your friends typically is because you associate a good feeling when you think about them. You associate a good feeling when you're around them. And it's not just friends, but it's things. The reason you say you love football or you love ice cream or you love pizza, it's because of a feeling you get when you think about those things. So we are in the book of Romans. It's been a few weeks. We're going to jump back in today. We're going to be in Romans 12. And what Paul, he's getting to the place where he wants us to understand what biblical love looks like. What does love in a biblical sense look like? How are we to love one another? Is it, is it a feeling? And listen, feelings are good. Emotions are good. Like we all experience those when it comes to, to love. But biblical love is so much more. Biblical love is based on devotion, it's based on commitment, it's based on action, and that's what Paul wants us to see. So just to recap real quick, we've been in Romans since January, chapters 1 through 11, that was all about what we needed to know. Paul was setting the foundation, hey, here's, here's the truth of what has happened in history, and we started in chapter 1 with the wrath of God. And Paul told us that, that God is perfect. He is holy. And he can't have any sin in his presence. And so we see this, this wrath of God building because he's got to judge the sin. And then we learn about ourselves, that, that we're sinners, right? That we're born into sin. There's nothing we can do to fix our sinful natures. And so this wrath, it should be poured out on us. Like, what is God going to do about that? Then we're introduced to Jesus. And we learn that Jesus is the one Jesus is the one who took all of this judgment and wrath that should be directed at us, 
and he put it on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. And all the punishment that we deserved, Jesus took. And he offered us full and complete forgiveness. And then the Bible says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That this is a free gift that God offers us. So in light of all that, in light of Romans 1 through 11, we've got all the knowledge that we need, the fact that Jesus has taken our penalty, he's offered us eternal life. Now, now what do we do with that knowledge? How do we actually live our lives? How do we live a life that's based on this truth of what Jesus has done for us? Like he's changed our lives, now it's got to result in something. And so Paul's going to use chapters 12 through 16 in Romans to tell us, hey, here is how you actually live. So a few weeks ago, Byron started chapter 12, and we talked about how we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Just as Jesus died for us and offered his body for us, now we do the same for the church, for those that we love. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And then we learn that we all have gifts, that once you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and he gives you specific gifts that help in serving the body, the church, those who you love. And now Paul is going to get to the place where we talk about love. What does love look like? And so Paul, in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, he basically is going to go on a Twitter rampage. He's going to offer like all of these short little commands about how we love. And he works through this progression, and he starts with the church. He starts with people who have made the decision to follow Christ. He starts with the local body, and he says, this is how you're to love each other. And then he goes from there and he talks about here's how you love those in your community. And then he ends the chapter with how do you love people who oppose you? How, how do you love your enemies? And so we don't have time this morning to get through all of them. There's like 30 different commands. We're going to focus on how do we love each other? We're going to take these first few verses and look at what Paul commands us when it comes to loving each other, loving each other in the church. Now, why, why is that so important? If we look at the words of Jesus, listen to what he said in John chapter 13. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus did not say, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you follow all of the rules. Jesus did not say, Everyone will know that you're my disciple if you attend church every Sunday. Jesus did not say, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you can argue every theological point. He did not say, if you memorize your Bible. Jesus said the most important thing for the outside world to know who Jesus is, is that we, inside the church, love one another. And so Paul's going to talk about exactly what that looks like, but I want us to know that the single most important thing that attracts the world to Christianity is what we're going to discuss this morning. So let's get started. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. We're going to go to 13. Paul starts out with, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. So Paul comes right out of the gate and he wants to address 
the motivation behind our love. And so he says, your love has got to be genuine. It's got to be sincere. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 25 years, and one of our favorite things to do, yes, thank you, looking forward to that 25th anniversary trip, um, but one of the things that we've loved to do over the years, um, we've taken a few trips to New York City. We absolutely love the city. There's such an energy there. Um, you never get a bad meal in New York City, never run out of things to do, but one particular trip, we were kind of in the market for some new watches. And so we decided we would give Chinatown um, a try. If you don't know anything about Chinatown, it is the fake goods capital of the world. And you can walk down Canal Street, which is kind of the main street, and anything you want, whether it's a watch, jewelry, purse, what have you, whatever name brand, like they'll have a knockoff for you. And so we're like, well, let's give this a try. I just realized this is being videotaped. Hopefully the statute of limitations is out. I'm not sure if this is legal or not. But um, so we're, we're, we're walking down the street and um, we, we don't know what to do. We, we look totally out of place, but we see this lady. We kind of make eye contact and she kind of nods her head and waves us over. We're like, all right, we'll go see what she has to say. She's like, what are you looking for? I said, well, we're, we're looking for some watches. And she's like, okay, come with me. So she takes us to another guy. And this guy's got this like laminated brochure of like every possible watch you could imagine. So he said, what kind are you looking for? I'm like, well, I'm looking for maybe a fake Rolex. So he turns to the page, there's like 25 different options. So I say, I want that one. He's like, okay. And then my wife points hers out. And um, then that guy goes somewhere else. And this lady like takes us around the corner to this alley, like away from Canal Street. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, is this, is this okay? I mean, I think the police just kind of, you know, give a wink and a nod, it's no big deal. But we're, we're in this alley, and then finally a fourth different guy comes back with a rolled up paper bag, and he's got our watches. And so I'm like, all right, this is kind of cool. Uh, what's the price? They say $100 for both of them. You'll be happy to know I got them down to $55 for both watches, pretty impressive. <laughs> now I think, I think, that's, I think that's a win. I'm sure these watches cost like $5, so I think they're doing just fine. And if they would eliminate a few of the middleman, they'd do even better. Um, but here's what's crazy. That was 10 or 12 years ago. I still have that watch. And that watch actually still works, believe it or not. Yep. Now, if, um, if I were to give you this watch, this fake Rolex, and I were to give you a real Rolex, which unfortunately I don't have, um, and you were to hold these two watches in your hand, even if you're not a watch expert, it would literally take you two seconds to figure out the difference, right? You could tell mine was fake almost immediately. Like it's a little bit light, it's not made of the same materials like the gold and silver that a Rolex is made from. And then if you look at the second hand, one of the telltale signs if you ever wanna find a fake watch is the second hand on an expensive watch will be perfectly smooth. There will not be any tick, tick, tick action to it. The, the eye can't perceive it, they're made so well. A fake watch, and if you look at my watch in the second hand, you can see the tick, tick, tick. But it's obvious, even if you're not a watch expert, obvious which one the fake is. Listen, Paul knew that when it came to love. People are intuitive, right? People know when you're faking it. People know when you're not genuine. People know when you're not sincere. And, and this is a tough thing, right? Like the people that I love the most in my life, sometimes Sometimes my motivations aren't pure when it comes to loving them or, or doing a loving action. Like even with my wife and kids, like let's be honest, sometimes we do something for them because we want something in return. Or we do something for them because we know it's going to make us feel good. But are our motives pure? Do we really love them because we want to serve them, because we want their best? 
Now, it's hard enough for people that we really love, people that we're close to, but people have flaws, right? Like, some people have some really annoying flaws. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. We're in church. Like, there are some people that you are called to love that maybe you don't necessarily like. So how do we do that? When God's called us for our love to be genuine, how in the world do we love people, even, even people that we're close to, that sometimes we have selfish motivations, but what about the people that are super hard to love? What in the world do we do? We've got to go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when we started this chapter, and listen to what Paul says. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... The way we love challenging people, the way we make sure we have genuine and sincere love is that we remember how God loved us. We had nothing to offer God when he loved us. There was nothing that he expected in return when he gave his son for us. God's mercy is what motivates us to love others. Because God loved us in a certain way, now he's calling us to love others in that same way. And listen, I know this is a process. Like, this is a a lifelong struggle for us to genuinely love the people that God has placed in our lives, to genuinely love the people who are Christ followers, who are part of C3 Church. And here's here's a little statement that I try to remember that, that has helped me over the years. It's this. I'll never be asked to be more patient with someone than God has been with me, and I'll never be asked to forgive more than God has forgiven me. I'll never be asked to be more patient with someone than God has been with me, and I'll never be asked to forgive more than God has forgiven me. And God has been so patient with us. God has forgiven every single one of our transgressions, every single one of our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so he's asking us, man, genuinely, sincerely love the people in your lives like that. Then Paul goes on to the second point, and it looks like he takes a wicked left turn here. Like we're talking about love, we're talking about the sincerity of love. And then he makes this statement, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Paul, like what in the world does this have to do with love? And I think Paul's answer would be, it has everything to do with love. See, the second characteristic of our love is it's got to be truthful. Love is truly not love unless it's grounded in God's truth. And this is so, so important to understand. Listen, when when we love someone, when we're close to someone, sometimes our sense of right and wrong can get a little skewed. It can get a little confused, a little off. And the reason is because we really love that person. We want the best for that person. And so, like, if we see them doing something that we know is contrary to God's word or they're heading down a path that we know is going to lead to some pain and sorrow... Sometimes the easier thing to do in the relationship is just let it go. Like, I don't want to disrupt the relationship. We've got a good thing going here. Do I really want to cause, like, stress and pain in this relationship by bringing this up? But that is what God calls us to do, right? He wants us to love in truth. We see this all the time in parenting. Parents who fail to discipline their children, right? They don't want to deal with the crying, with the drama, with the work that it takes to intervene when a child is doing something that they shouldn't. And so they end up raising a child who doesn't have respect for authority. They end up raising children who just always get their way, and then they cry when they don't, instead of doing the work on the front end. And my argument would be that I think they love being liked by their child, 
more than they truly love their child. So when, when we love, we have to love in truth. And this, this is why I love Pastor Byron so much. If you've been coming to C3 for any length of time, you know every single Sunday he is going to present the truth of God's word. It does not matter if the culture is going a totally different direction. It does not matter if maybe your viewpoint is a little bit differently. He loves you so much that he is willing to get up here and sometimes wade into uncomfortable territory because he knows what's best for you, because he knows God knows what's best for you, and he wants the best for you. A perfect example of that, we've dealt with this issue a few times over the, the last few months, is the abortion issue. And I know in a room this size, like we've got people all over the board. But at C3, you are going to hear what we believe is the truth from the scripture. And we know in Psalms, David says that I was knit together in my mother's womb. That, that life begins clearly at conception. That, that God is the author of life and it starts right away. Check this out. In Jeremiah, God even goes one step further. He says to Jeremiah, before, before I even formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Let that sit for a second. Can you imagine a God that knew us, knew everything about you, even before your parents existed, even before your grandparents existed, that you were viable when time began because God knew you? So at C3, when it comes to this issue of life, like we are going to defend and protect life from the womb, and we're going to do that all the way to the tomb because every single life matters, whether it's, whether it's in the womb or whether you're a day from dying. We are going to be there. We are going to support you. We are going to love you. We are going to do everything we can. Now, on the flip side of that is, is the love part of this truth, right? So you know, you've heard Pastor Byron say that there's people in here who have had an abortion, and we have... We have been beside them. We have supported them. We have loved them. There have been people here in this church who wanted to get an abortion, and we've stepped beside them, and we've helped provide resources for them, do whatever it takes to, to help them in their journey with their new baby. We've supported organizations like the Beta Center, which takes in teen mothers to make sure they have the resources that they need, to make sure they get their education. Like, we do everything we can to present the truth of God's word, but, man, we're going to love you. We are going to love you. And, and if you disagree with us, man, don't just, don't just walk out. Don't just leave the church. If you hear something that, whether it's this issue or another issue that we cover, man, lean into that a little bit. Like the Holy Spirit might be doing a work in your life, and we are never afraid of conversations. Like give us a call. Shoot us an email. If you ever hear something on a Sunday morning, you hear something from God's Word that doesn't jive with your experience or, or maybe your background, man, let us know. We, we want to enter a conversation. But at C3, one thing you can be 100% sure of, we are going to love you in the truth, and we're going to do everything we can to support you and tell you what you need to hear. Because listen, sometimes, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is the most painful thing. Emma, our oldest daughter, when she was two years old, um, I had just left for a church event, and I get this frantic call from Amanda. I mean, she is hysterical and trying to explain the situation. Apparently, Emma was running and she slipped and she hit her head right on the corner of a wall. And so Amanda's telling me there's blood everywhere. I don't know what to do. So I'm literally two minutes from our house. I rush home. We scoop Emma up. We take her right to the emergency room. And they got her right back immediately. The doctor gets her on the table. He's looking at her and he calls me over. 
And he says, listen, this is a, a pretty deep gash. We're going to have to do internal stitches and external stitches. So this is what this means. We are going to have to strap her to the table. I'm going to have to give her five or six shots right in her forehead to numb that area. And when I do that, I'm going to need you to help hold her down and hold her in place. Now, that was 18 years ago. And that image of Emma's face looking into my eyes while I am holding her down, and that doctor is sticking that needle right in her forehead, is forever ingrained in my mind. Like, it was the most heart-wrenching thing I think I've ever done with our kids. But I knew, I knew in that moment, it was the most loving thing to do for her. As confused as she was, as hurt as she was, as much as she didn't understand what was going on, I knew that that was the most loving thing I could do as a dad. Listen, sometimes you're going to find yourself in situations with those that you love. The most loving thing you can do is to wade into that uncomfortable territory, those things that might cause a little stress where you might have to communicate the truth in love to those that you love. All right, so we've got our love has got to be genuine. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be truthful. Then we get to the third point. And Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, I like how some other translations say this. It says that we should have a deep love for one another like brothers and sisters. So this third point is, this third characteristic of our love is it has to be like family. Now, I know when I say our love should be like family, everyone starts filtering that through their family experience. And listen, I know we got a lot of jacked up families. I think, I think everybody's got some portion of their family that's a little messed up. And so what I want you to do as we talk about our love being like family is I want you to imagine, like Paul's imagining, this is a, a very health, healthy family, a healthy biblical family, not necessarily your experience. So in a healthy family, let's run through a few examples. Um, if your siblings, your brother or sisters, if they develop a problem, do we give up on them? No, we, we stay with them. We work with them. If, if your parents in their old age become needy, do we just leave them to their own devices? No, some of you have turned your worlds upside down to care for your aging parents. Some of you have moved your parents into your home. You're trying to move your parents to Orlando so you can take better care of them. Like you have made significant sacrifices so you can care for your aging parents. parents. Why? Because they're family. Like, we don't give up on family. Or what if, what if your kids start causing problems at school or, or in, in the home? You don't call them in one day and say, listen, hey, um, me and your mom have been talking, and uh, we, we just can't do this anymore. So um, there's a security guard out front. He's going to take you, I don't know, to a new family, maybe a detention center, something. But uh, we just can't do this anymore, so good luck. No, we don't do now maybe you've thought about it but but we don't we don't do that right like we're family like we do not give up on one another we are devoted we are committed to one another and this is the example that Paul's giving for the church like listen we we are family if you've prayed to receive Christ and you are a part of C3 church you are family we are devoted to you we are committed to you we do not give up on one another so let me ask you a question how devoted and committed are you to this local family? You know, I played um, intramural sports in college. I went to Florida State, and we had every possible sport you could imagine, and we tried to play as many as we could. But one of my favorite seasons was flag football season. And 
our, our team was pretty good. Like we won the championship a few times. I, I loved playing flag football, but my commitment to my intramural flag football team was we practiced one hour a week and then we played five games and then we had the playoffs. Now, right across the street from the intramural fields, you could see Dope Campbell Stadium and you could see the practice facility and you could see the real football players. And you know what their level of commitment was? It wasn't one hour a week. Those guys spent hours a day practicing. They spent hours watching film. They spent six or seven hours on the weekends playing the game. They, they had their season from August to January, and then they had to show up again in the spring and start practicing. The level of commitment needed to be a Division I college athlete versus the level of commitment I had for my intramural flag football team, very different. So are you committed to the local church like intramural flag football? Or are you committed to the local church like a Division I scholarship athlete? Or let me ask it this way. How many of you um, have done a free trial of a streaming service? Go ahead and raise your hand. Like, we're in church. Go ahead. Come on. Free trial of a streaming service. Second question. How many of you have used multiple email addresses so you could get two, three, four, maybe five free trials of that streaming service? Yep, we've all done it. Like, if you walked in my house, it would not be out of the question for you to hear a conversation like this. Hey, has anyone used a Leathers FSU account for Hulu yet? Like, thankfully, we have five people in our family, so we got lots of email addresses. So, um. But what, what you do when you do the free trial, right? You, you want to watch your show and then get out. Like, you don't want to make the full commitment. Like, let's watch the show, and then we'll be done, and we'll get out. When another one comes on, then we'll do another free trial. Do you view your commitment to the local church like a free trial to a streaming service? See, listen, as family, this is what God's called us to. Church should be like family not an event you attend weekly. God has called us to so much more when it comes to the church. Listen, you don't show up to dinner because you like what's on the menu. We show up to dinner because it's family. We are supposed to love each other like family, be devoted, committed to one another. All right, we're running out of time. You guys got to listen faster. Um, fourth one, fourth one, we're going to Go to this fourth one, and, and Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but when it comes to our love, we've got to serve. Like, we've got to serve one another, and we've got to serve our community. And, and so Paul, I love what he does here. He doesn't just say you have to serve. Paul talks about how we're supposed to serve. And there's a big difference, right? Like, when it comes to serving in the life of C3, if you view it as just an obligation, as something you have to do, it comes across in how you serve. But when you serve because you really want to be here, you understand the why behind your serving, it results in zeal. It results in spiritual fervor. And so Paul says, listen, when it comes to your serving, don't just show up. It's not just an obligation. But man, you're supposed to be enthusiastic. You're supposed to bring the energy. You're supposed to serve with a passion, and people should see that. So how do you do that? Paul answers in that same verse. He says, be joyful in hope. Like the reason that we're motivated to serve is because we know that every person coming through that door, there is hope because of Jesus. No one is ever too far gone for God. We don't ever give up on anybody whether it's someone who's already prayed to receive Christ, maybe they're going through a rough time. Man, we serve with energy, with enthusiasm, because we know that today might be a significant change for them. 
We serve because we know people coming through that door don't know Jesus yet. They haven't met Jesus, and they, they don't know what it is for their sins to be forgiven. And we know the change that can bring. And so we serve with enthusiasm. We serve with spiritual fervor. And, and let me thank you. Last week, if you were here, we did a serving fair at C3. We had over 125 new people sign up to serve in the life of C3, which is amazing. So if you are one of those people that signed up, we called, texted, or emailed you this week. If you did not hear from us, please go to the resource area. Make sure we have your name and number. If you weren't here last week and you want to serve in the life of C3, we've got a form there that you can fill out. We will get in touch with you this week, and we will connect you with some serving opportunities. But when it comes to service, you're going to hear in our trainings, we don't just show up. We don't view this as an obligation. We do what Paul says. We have zeal. We have passion. We have spiritual fervor when it comes to our serving because we're joyful in hope and then we're patient in affliction. We know life's going to get the best of us. We know Satan is going to throw everything he can at us because he does not want us serving. He does not want us making a difference. So you're going to encounter some affliction and Paul says you've got to be patient in that. And then obviously you've got to be faithful in prayer. Then Paul gets to the fifth characteristic of our love. And he says, share with the Lord's people in need, practice hospitality. So our love has got to be hospitable. And so when he says share with the Lord's people in need, he's talking about the Lord's people. He's talking about the people in the church. And so how do we do that? We're to share our burdens with one another. Whether it's a spiritual burden, whether it's an emotional burden, whether it's a physical burden, whether it's a relational burden, a family burden, whatever burdens you have, again, we're family. We're supposed to share those with one another. We share those so we can be praying for you, so we can provide resources for you, so we can come alongside you and help in whatever you're dealing with. Now, listen, that's hard to do on a Sunday morning, right? We're sitting in rows. Maybe we say hi to a few people. We have some good conversations. But it's really hard to share with the Lord's people in need just on Sunday morning. So the way we do that at C3 is we have community groups. And in just a few weeks, we're going to have registration. Those are going to start in the fall. That is the best way to share each other's burdens. We, we engage in life with one another. We, we make sure that, that we're doing life with each other in such a way that we, we know each other. We know what we're going through. We can be praying for you. We can be encouraging you. So I would encourage you, man, when we, when we launch community groups, man, be a part so you can share with the Lord's people that you can encourage them, you can be praying for them. But the other way we share in the needs is through financial needs. And that is why we talk about tithing so much at C3. So you hear Pastor Byron talk about tithing because we know the blessing that comes to the giver. The, the Bible talks about it over and over again, that if you put God first financially, and the tithe just means 10% of your income comes to the local church, the first 10%, when you do that, God promise, promises to bless you. He promises to provide for you. He promises to protect you. But you know the other benefit that comes? If every single person that considered C3 Church their church home, every family unit, if they tithed, we could meet every single financial need in the life of this church. Every single one. But it takes all of us doing it together. And so when Paul says, when it comes to our love, it's got to be hospitable, We've got to share each other's burdens, both spiritual burdens and those financial burdens. That is what family does. And then right at the end of that verse, Paul makes the transition to be hospitable. 
Now, when he talks about hospitality, we're getting outside the walls of the church now. He's starting to transition to those that aren't in the family. And Paul says one of the most important things for us to do is we've got to be hospitable. We've got to care for the people outside of these walls. We've got to make sure that we're engaged in relationships. So let me ask you this. When it comes to the people that you work with, maybe the people you go to school with, maybe the people in your neighborhood, if we were to ask them, are you hospitable? What would their answer be? Are you someone that they enjoy talking to? Are, are, are you someone that like, makes their burdens lighter when you engage with them? Are, are you someone who is generous with your resources with those outside of these walls? Paul says, listen, part of loving one another is making sure that we're hospitable to those outside the church. So when it comes, when it comes to love, when it comes to a love that's devoted, a love that's committed, a love that is defined by action, we've got to do five things. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be genuine. It's got to come from a genuine place. It's got to be based in truth. We've got to love each other like family. We've got to serve one another. And then we've got to be hospitable. Listen, in the book of Acts, it talks about how the early church just exploded onto the scene. Like they absolutely flourished. And you know what did not grow the early church? It wasn't nice buildings. It wasn't high production value with their music or with their services. It wasn't cool t-shirts. It wasn't great coffee. Now, we're going to do all those things at C3, but I promise you what is going to grow this church and what's going to make a difference in this community is how we love one another, like Paul has commanded. If you're here this morning and you've heard this message, but maybe you've never made the decision to follow Christ. You heard me talk about what Jesus has done for us, that he has taken all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, and he's put it on his shoulders, and he's paid the penalty for your sin so that you could have an eternal relationship with Jesus. And like I talked about earlier, that's a free gift. There's nothing you do to earn that. You just accept that gift that Jesus has offered. So if that's you this morning, I would encourage everyone, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you want to make the decision to follow Christ this morning, you can do that. You can pray this prayer out loud, or you can just say it in your heart. But you say, dear God, I, I acknowledge that there's this sin in my life that has separated me from you. But I also acknowledge that Jesus paid the penalty for that sin. He took my shame. He took my guilt. And then on the third day, he rose again so that I could have an eternal relationship with you. So God, as best as I know how, I give my life to you and I trust you with my everything. It's in your name that I pray, amen.